This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Well, as the House and Senate still work towards a bill on changes to the tax code, graduate students around the country are watching closely. The House version uh, of the uh, of the bill uh, has changes, including an element that could hurt their educations. In the past, graduate tuition has been waived by universities in exchange for the student's work as a researcher or teacher's assistant. But the House bill views that as income and therefore taxable. That would mean an additional tax totaling in the thousands of dollars for many grad students. To discuss this, we are joined here in studio by Laura Perna, who is a professor and founding executive director of the Alliance for Higher Education and uh, Democracy. She is also affiliate at the Penn Wharton Public Policy Initiative and chair of the Higher Education Division of Penn's Graduate School of Education. And also joining us, Patrick Thomas, who's director of the Notre Dame Tax Clinic at the University of Notre Dame Law School. Great to see you again, Laura. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Patrick. Great to have you with us today. Great to be here. Thank you. Um, I guess let's start with a little bit of a historical context, Laura. In terms of graduate students having the ability to have this benefit if they stay on as a, as a research assistant of some kind, has this been pretty much a standard policy for, for many universities over a long period of time? I don't know the complete history of this, but certainly the tuition benefit is a really important component of enabling the best and the brightest to in take the time that's needed for graduate education. Patrick, we're talking about uh, a, a potential significant uh, burden that, that some of these students are, are dealing with. That's right. Uh, and I think there are a number of layers of uncertainty here as as far as uh, you know whether uh, this would actually be the result of what this bill does um, and and also if if that is the result if these tuition waivers do become subject to tax what the response of both the Internal Revenue Service and the universities would be to that but you know, presuming that that's the case uh, it would be a tr- it would have a tremendous impact on graduate students uh, so I, I ran the numbers for a typical graduate student at my in, institution at Notre Dame, and uh, the bottom line there is that uh, between federal, state, and local income taxes, uh, they'd be paying over half of their cash stipends in just in taxes, uh, and then they'd have to get by uh, with the rest for you know food, rent, yeah. and things like that. I'm guessing, Laura, it'd be somewhat similar here at the University of Pennsylvania. I mean, this is kind of a, a commonality amongst uh, universities. Students have to deal with this at, at fluctuating levels of investment, but they're still looking at a, at a tax bill nonetheless, potentially. Yes. You know, I've been looking at estimates as well, and I think that uh, some of the data show that the implications will be greater at private institutions where tuition is higher. Um, and this is really a, a big problem for students. You know, it's not like you're getting cash, extra cash for this, that people aren't um, receiving that tuition in a cash benefit. Um, but the implications of these great tax increases on the amount of money that students has is uh, it will be greatly reduced. But we're talking about something that I would guess for you, and, and Patrick, you can chime in on this as well, that this move to make this this move potentially kind of comes out of the blue, correct? 
I didn't expect it. I'm not sure anyone was expecting it. But there are other provisions that have been talked about that really seem anti-higher education, anti-middle class. You know, really, um, I think we need to be thinking very carefully about the implications of uh, various different proposals for what that means for what we're trying to achieve as a, as a society and who's getting opportunity to do what. Patrick? Yeah, I, I would agree with that comment that it certainly came out of the blue. Certainly, I wasn't expecting it. I've, um, I'm fairly heavily involved with the American Bar Association section of taxation, and so tax reform has been a hot topic there for a number of years, and never was, was this particular provision uh, an item of, uh, that was up for discussion on any uh, side of the ideological spectrum. Uh, certainly there was some discussion about, say, the student loan interest deduction uh, or some of these other items that are in the House bill but not in the Senate bill. Uh, but, but this one just, just uh, surprised all of us. But what's surprising, Patrick, is, is the fact that this, is, this move is in the House version of the bill, but it is not in the Senate version. Do, do you know why there is that differentiation between the two, the, the two potential plans? No, it's a great question. Um, you know, you, you can always get uh, some representative who, who might have a pet project, right, uh, that, that gets its way into a massive bill such as this, um, but, but that's mere speculation. Uh, I think um, when the Senate Finance Committee came out with its initial product, uh, they also published a sort of uh, two-page information sheet that noted that uh, benefits, tax benefits for graduate students were specifically preserved. And so I think because of some of the reporting on this issue in between the time that the House bill was introduced and the Senate bill was introduced, uh, finance at least became aware of this issue and um, seeing as I see no real good policy reason for including it, uh, didn't include it in the bill. But, but again, it's hard to sort of read the tea leaves, if you will, uh, for, for why a provision might be in, in one product and not the other. So I, it's interesting really how, and problematic, I think, how quickly all this has happened. You know, I think we really need, and, and Congress should be taking more time to really understand the provisions that are being proposed and really think through the profound implications of these different ideas. 844-WHARTON is the number if you would like to join in with your comments or questions, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. One of the things we discussed before we went on the air is the fact that when you look at uh, the numbers of students uh, that are in grad school right now and the fields that they're actually focusing on, a lot of them are the STEM fields, which we have talked about on this show end up being incredibly important fields to follow these days for not only where our economy is right now, but where our economy is going to be in the next 50 years, Laura. Right. This is part of what makes all this so problematic and so troubling. We know how important higher education is generally to individuals and to society. 
and especially science and technology. You know, we need to be developing and investing in research and in technology and encouraging the best and the brightest, regardless of their own individual financial circumstances, to pursue these careers and to be engaged in work that really makes everyone better off. The estimate I saw was 60% of the graduate students and undergraduates who would be affected by this are in science and technology. This is a big problem. Uh, what is the expectation then, as or I should say, what is the potential, uh, how would this play out amongst the universities across the United States, uh, which, you know, graduate school has become, uh, you know, kind of an important piece for a lot of universities to add to their mix in terms of what they will offer to a variety of students, Laura. Well, graduate students are a really important part of a university. They're part of the knowledge production. Faculty work closely with graduate students as a way to continue and build research. So graduate students are contributing to faculty research projects, and, and they're producing important research on their own. So there's, there's the contribution to knowledge part of this that's really important. There are other implications for higher education institutions from a cost perspective, and you know we've talked about the rising cost of higher education before. Also, you know these this provision as well as some of the others that are being proposed really are, would contribute to driving up the cost of higher education. Patrick, yeah, I, I agree with that generally, and and if this provision does make it into the final product, it will be interesting to see how universities respond to it. And, and there are a few things, I think, tools in their toolbox that they could use. Um, first is uh, the question of uh, whether they would classify these uh, tuition reductions as taxable, even presuming that this provision made its way into the bill. Uh, there are, are a few institutions who have said, well, no, this doesn't affect us at all. Our tuition reductions are actually qualified scholarships, mm -hmm. which are non-taxable under a different provision of the Internal Revenue Code. And, and I think that's a reasonable argument. Um, you, you can't just, un, under any sort of tax um, position, you can't just call uh, something one thing and and it be sure. that thing it actually you know has to be that thing in its economic structure to be taxed that way under the code um, so it's not just enough to call it that it has to actually be that and there is some uncertainty uh, about whether uh, that's that's actually the case if this provision passes but but that's one potential response um, and it would be interesting then to see how the IRS or the administration more broadly might respond to that um, in terms of challenging the position of universities or even auditing individual graduate students who, whose um, tuition waivers aren't being treated as subject to tax. Does it concern you that seemingly uh, this piece uh, is part of an overall push to get change in the tax code to begin with, Patrick, and seemingly, uh, it, it, as Laura kind of alluded to, we need a little thought on this process. It doesn't feel like there's going to be given a lot of time to take a lot of thought on this. No, I, I mean, I think um, most of the legislation, certainly the marquee proposed legislation we've seen over the past uh, you know, 10 months has been fairly rushed, to put it mildly. And uh, that's certainly the case with this piece of legislation. You know, the, the 1986 tax reform, the most recent 
uh, time that, that our tax laws in the United States were, were revised wholesale, uh, there, there were hearings and hearings for years about uh, the changes, the proposed changes to the tax laws. And the ultimate vote on that legislation, do you have any idea what it might be? No. It was 98 to 0, I think, in the Senate. Oh, God. So pre- pretty universal. <laughs> right. Right. A lot of consideration and a lot of bipartisan um, agreement. Uh, you know, certainly there was some horse trading here and there, but uh, the Congress decided that they would share uh, their their benefits with each party and share the risks that the legislation engendered. Um, and, and you just you certainly don't see that in this legislation. Uh, legislation, and uh, you also didn't see it in in the healthcare legislation over the summer. It's been very partisan. There have been a, a wide range of articles, Laura, in the last you know couple of days about this topic, and it pretty much it's universal that these articles are talking to a couple of students, and they are talking about how uh, impactful this uh, could potentially be. Uh, to them. Uh, Some students are talking about, well, I wouldn't be able to continue with grad college. But one of the things that they have talked about is the potential, some students have mentioned about going overseas to get their extra education. Is is there something different about the about the structure of this in Europe or other locations that would allow them to do that? Well, I don't know the specifics of how uh, the payment would work overseas, but um, I think the re- those responses from students that we've heard and that have been reported in the press make lots of sense. Graduate students are not getting paid a lot of money right now. They're yeah. receiving relatively uh, low stipends to basically meet basic costs of living. And so, um, you know, if you this were to be passed and have these tax increases that would have to that would have the effect of reducing that relatively small amount of money that they're having right now. It's just, it doesn't add up. You know, if you don't have some other source of income to help make sure that you can pay the rent and you can buy food and you can <laughs> live, right? Then and, why would you, you can't afford to study. You can't be a graduate well, student. And, and it's not like these people have the time of the day to be able to also be working a full-time job to, to financially support this as well. No, this is their focus. They're here to study. They're working, conducting research. Right. They're making our world better. Well, and that the research piece is an interesting point I wanted to touch on for a second is, is the fact that just the potential loss of ability to do certain research is hindered because of the potential of losing students and not being able to fully really balance some of the projects that we're talking about here. That's right. And so that, you know, when you get that has implications then for colleges and universities. So if universities were trying to figure out a way to make students whole, so getting them to the level of stipends that they have right now before these taxes are implemented, that would have real costs that somebody would have to figure out a way to pay. Patrick? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. That That's one of the potential responses that I think universities could uh, use in their toolbox to respond to this uh, this change in the law. Uh, certainly, universities with larger endowments may be able to do that uh, to say gross up their stipends to account for the increase in tax. But um, you know that's going to fall really uh, heavily on public institutions, largely that don't have uh, that those sort of resources. Would schools would schools start to think along that lines? Do you think so, Laura? Well. Universities value research. You know that's a really important 
component of what it is that we do here. And so figuring out a way to continue the research production would be, I'm sure, a high, high priority. But many institutions now are really constrained and facing real challenges with regard to cost. For public institutions, you know, the public institutions are facing decline in support from state governments right now. And so these threats like this, like the uh, proposed tax on investments and by endowments, you know, the other things that are being talked about really work against efforts to try to ensure opportunity, to try to enable institutions to diversify their revenue streams, and really, you know, enable universities to do the many important things that they're doing. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866. We go to the phones. Roanoke, North Carolina. Bob is on the line. Bob, go ahead. Hey, good morning. Um, or this afternoon, almost afternoon. Uh, my question is, number one, I welcome this discussion. Uh, a couple of mentions earlier, we heard that there was some horse trading that went on back in the Reagan years when we were trying to rewrite you know tax code i think your discussion is just the beginning of that new cycle and there is lots and lots of room for give and take but i'm glad the discussion has started bob thanks very much for the comment greatly appreciate it uh, I, I guess patrick that does touch on a a, a very important topic is that I think we should expect some sort of back and forth here in, in the next few days to be able to potentially get something done on this. Potentially. I mean, you, you see uh, just in the news now, John Cornyn stated that they have the votes, at least to get to 50, plus the vice president's tiebreaker, to pass the bill in the Senate. Right. Uh, but that's you know really the last point at which uh, we're going to see this thing negotiated uh, not behind closed doors, because once the House bill, you know, the House bills pass, once the Senate bill passes, they're going to go to conference, and that yeah. process is fairly opaque. So there may very well be some of this horse trading, and uh, people like myself and Laura and you may be able to talk about it, and they may hear it, but we're not going to really know uh, how how they respond to that until a final product comes out of conference. There have been a wide range of students protesting this uh, at, at various institutions around the United States. At this point, what else could students do to be able to try and make a difference in your mind, Laura? Well, I think we should be contacting our legislators and making sure that people know where we stand on this. And describing the, these profound implications, I think, is really important. Beyond that, I'm not sure. Patrick? Um, I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, I've, I've certainly seen the, the action that graduate students have taken across the country since this issue was raised in early November, um, and, and uh, the, some of the coverage it's, it's received in the press. So that's, that's been helpful to um, at least highlight this issue that uh, folks in the House or the Senate might not have been aware of. Um, I, I do think that 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 is a concern that, uh, you know, this bill is so large that and there's so many provisions in it, uh, it kind of gets overwhelming, even for the folks who are uh, purporting to pass the bill. So uh, so it is important to to highlight these individual provisions that are very, very important for not only our, our graduate students individually, but the state of higher education in the United States. Do you think that this would also potentially, if there is some sort of, of 
uh, of caveat uh, that is, is taking this away for grad students in uh, in the changes that want to come forward. Do you think that will significantly hamper the want to go to graduate school in the years to come, Patrick? Hmm. I, I mean, that's a hard question. Um, it it could again depending on where these graduate students are. So if they're at a public institution. Um, their tuition's already lower on a gross value, so it may not affect them as as much. On the other hand, they're not as able those institutions to gross up their their stipends. Um, at private institutions, conversely, um, the uh, tuition is quite high, but their resources are also fairly high. You, you also might see a difference between students, say, at public institutions in a low-tax or no-tax state, such as the University of Texas or University of Florida, um, where, where you don't have state income tax. So that's, that's uh, a potential benefit for, for those students. Um, whereas uh, students in, say, California or New York or Massachusetts or Pennsylvania um, might, might have a tougher time. And so might be more apt to make that decision either not to go to that graduate school or not to go to graduate school at all. Laura? I think we'll also see implications for the characteristics of students who go. So students from wealthy families who have yeah. parents who can take care of their living expenses and, and help students make ends meet will be able to make whatever choices they want to on these issues. But for many more students, you know, we have a system right now that relies heavily on loans Sure. Uh, in terms of how students can pay the cost of undergraduate school. So students are approaching, many, many students are approaching the decision to go to graduate school already having borrowed a lot of money. And so when you have that debt with you and then the prospect of a, a small stipend and now a lower stipend to try to basically live, I think that really is a daunting proposition. Well, from what I understand, they're also talking about the deduction on the interest of student loans to begin with coming off the board as well. So there's, you know, if, if you are, if you're somebody that's going to grad school and you're putting it, financing it through student loans, you're getting the double whammy here. Right. And so there's a, while you're in graduate school, you can defer, there are some provisions for deferring loans, but there's a lot here, you know, that's another provision that really drives up the cost of, of higher education. Yeah. But, Patrick? I, and, and I might put a plug in here for my law students who, and other professional graduate students who do pay tuition to, uh, for their education. And so this provision, uh, the student loan interest deduction, really helps them, especially those who are going into public interest work, taking advantage of special programs uh, like the public uh, the public interest loan forgiveness program, um, where, where essentially they, they're sometimes just paying interest on those loans, but it'll be forgiven after a period of time in public service. Uh, but, but that's taking away a, a huge benefit from those students. But, but, Patrick, Patrick, it feels like in general, the, the, the idea of, of this end of it, really this is just part of, of a wide range of, of ways uh, that Congress is trying to find to be able to, to, uh, to find ways to be able to get some sort of extra tax revenue one way or the other. It's almost like they've got a laundry list of items that they're just going through and check, uh, you know, checking marks on. That's absolutely right. And I think to some extent they're doing that based on uh, what constituencies might care about these you know, provisions and which constituencies might be more, partic uh, more problematic right, um, w when you go after those, those tax benefits. 
So um, we've, we've seen a lot of blowback to, say, the repeal of the mortgage interest deduction when, when that was being proposed. But, but that's, that's got a huge constituency for, throughout the entire United States, whereas some of these provisions are, are very important, as Laura and I have been discussing, but, but the people they impact um, at least directly and perceivably are much smaller. Laura? I think that's right. And the real problem with that is that higher education has this important public good aspect, and policymakers should be considering the public good when we think about how we fund higher education, how we encourage people to go to higher education and whatnot. These proposals really um, ignore important societal benefits of higher education. Great having you both with us. Thanks, Laura. Thank Thank you. you for coming in. Patrick, great to have you with us on the phone today. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. Laura Perna here from the uh, Penn University of Pennsylvania Graduate School of Education. Patrick Dombas uh, from Notre Dame. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.